0: Yeah, can you hear me okay now? No. No. Okay, hold
1: on. Do you do you have a headset?
0: That's what I just did. I just put a headset on. And oh I feel like God. that just Look at that. That seems, to, that seems to... Oh, hold on. How about now? Great. Yeah, I
2: mean, it sounds better. You two are so professional with your headsets. Well, <laughs> by headset, I mean, like, uh, not like a professional headset. Is that better I the store with all
1: so whatever you did there, don't do that. Yeah,
2: it sounds like you put your headset under a fish tank. Ha! Alright, I think
0: I'm just gonna take the headset off.
1: Nope. Oh, you were good, right? Okay. When you were... Is that better now? Great.
2: Okay. Hey, do you guys just wanna start
1: this over? All right, so Risto here with George Mason University. We are here today for Article Club number 2 uh, I'm joined with Kevin Richards from the University of Illinois and Justin Hagel from Old Dominion. Uh, since we went over introductions on the last Article Club, let's just get right into the paper. Uh, today, uh, we're discussing a paper by three scholars that you should know if you're reading research in health and physical education. The authors are Vicky Goodyear. Uh, Ashley Casey and Mikhail Quinterstead. The article we chose to highlight is titled Social Media as a Tool for Generating Sustained and In-Depth Insights into Sport and Exercise Practitioners. Ongoing Practices. It's a long title, but uh, it was t- published in 2018 in Qualitative Research in Sport and Exercise and Health. And um, I read this article on the Aerodyne bike and had a uh, great workout while reading this. But the question goes to Justin. Uh, since you were the one that uh, recommended this, this was your uh, week to pick. So what led you to picking this article?
2: Well, it, it, it appears there were two reasons uh, why I chose this article. First, you know, I've seen uh, the the researchers who wrote this paper's names on a, a lot of different papers and I wanted to get to know their research a little better. Um, and then second, um, you know, as we continue to use social media as one of like the main social interaction forums, um, not just like with people who we know, but also, you know, in the profession and you know with professional development and such. I think the idea of using social media as a forum to collect qualitative data um, is quite interesting, and um, I wanted to see what somebody else is doing in that regard, and thought this paper would be a good one to read.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think that that is a really strong point, Justin. You know, I think that social media and Twitter in particular, which is the, the platform that was highlighted in this paper, are becoming more common. They're being used for teachers to interact and engage in continuing professional development. But, you know, as is typical, uh, at least some of the time with research, I feel like we're kind of lagging behind a little bit in recognizing this as a, an available and appropriate outlet. Um, and so uh, this paper, along with several others that have come out the last couple of years, I think are doing a great job of highlighting how qualitative research can go beyond, you know, typical interviews and observations.
1: Yeah, I found it interesting that when they talked about not using social media to triangulate just like the tweets and messages, comments, but instead having it as this uh, part of this further discussion of reflections in the school context and so Not using social media as an isolated piece like going in right and just looking at the tweets that teachers say but so that, using it as like this continuing conversation was a really uh, Really cool way to gather data over a very prolonged period of time
0: and, and it's something that I actually hadn't really given much thought to you know when I think about social media use I think about you know, uh, interactions that go beyond and and sometimes uh, uh, have have less to do with the immediate context in which teachers are working and you know the immediate professional development that it's happening in a face-to-face context. Um, and, and so, actually, when I was uh, in the introduction, I wrote down like on a piece of paper um, that I thought that uh, you know this really makes the case for how social media uh, data. Um, can triangulate with uh, other forms of data like interviews and then in the uh, in the discussion section the authors I thought made a really strong point in saying well it shouldn't just be triangulation this is an integrative process where these forms of data are feeding into and informing one another so I had to go back and cross out those notes that I took in the first few pages
1: yeah
2: you know but so in reading through this one of the things that kept coming to my mind was the word depth And like, I I, they use the word depth a bunch of different times in here, or in depth. insights, And yeah, I kept thinking to myself, like, if like, can Twitter or can social media posts really provide in depth insights into um, people's thoughts or feelings or or experiences? Um, And like, if so, or, or, yeah, if not, then I suppose we still need to rely on those um, one to one or focus group uh, interviews to provide that like much needed depth for qualitative research. Whereas if you can get that depth from tweets, then maybe maybe it can be a standalone data collection or it could be the primary data source for a study.
0: Right. Yeah, you know, I think that the. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Rista. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say, I think that the challenge related to that in terms of depth, it's, it's kind of, I think, how do you define depth in some ways? Um, because uh, you know, t- Twitter is limited now to what 240 characters is the most that you can put into one individual tweet. Um, but the authors in this article, I think, made a really good case for how uh, an initial tweet can lead to retweets and kind of this or in or comments and this back and forth dialogue. And I think that they really captured that well. And if you hadn't told me that some of the, um, you know, the data clips that they presented in the paper were from tweets, uh, aside from the shorthand that a lot of people use on social media, um, it, it read a lot like interview data.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I would totally agree. And that, and I think, you know, especially because they use Twitter, I think the depth question is you know is something to think about but if we yep. if we had expand that to instagram or facebook that you know doesn't have that you know how many times in a normal way like if you would think about old school you just go in observe classes and then interview students or teachers at the end you have that one set time point and granted right yes you should have more than one interview but oftentimes the research that's published is observations and interviews and that interview is at one point so how that teacher feels at that one point maybe they've just had a really successful lesson and they're really pumped up and they have this huge positive uh tilt to it whereas if you ask them another day when they just had a terrible lesson then they have a negative view whereas i think with even twitter you just have this continuous check-in at any time yeah. that you can just send him a message and i've noticed this and i and i never knew that certain things were social media that vicky goodyear has told me are social media yeah I, you know, like she told me that at ara that whatsapp is considered social media which to me <laughs> uh-huh. is not like i just thought it was just a messaging service but i can understand how it's counted as that and in the paper they said Zotero, which is a reference management, my, yep. right? I'm like, that how caught, is that, that my social media?
0: Answer. Well, I stopped because I read that and I stopped and I was like, this feels a little bit like blowing smoke, like you're kind of exaggerating and trying to push it to a new area. But then when I stopped and thought about it, um, like we use Zotero for our lab at Illinois and we have a shared Zotero account that anybody can add references to and everybody can reference from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a living, breathing uh, database of references um, that that we all use and have access uh, to. So I, I don't I don't know if there are mes- like messaging functions within Zotero. Um, there very well might be, but in terms of that interactivity and ability to kind of uh, generate through community, um, I definitely see that.
1: And I mean, in Zotero, you like they said, you are making a profile. You are talking yeah, about who yes. you are, where you're from. You're giving out information into a social network, which, side uh-huh. note, Zotero was developed in conjunction with George Mason University. Was it really? I didn't know that. Yeah, didn't know that until uh, two weeks ago on Twitter.
2: So, didn't you just tell us that during the last article club? Didn't we just have this conversation?
1: Maybe. I, but I, 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 I'm no, just, I don't like, remember it if we I'm did. Just, you know, pumping up my university as much as possible. (laughs) So, but I I will say through WhatsApp in our current research project that we have ongoing action research project as a part of the reach program in Paraguay. I am talking to that coach via WhatsApp on a, you know, weekly basis for sure. Several times a week. She's sending me pictures of what's happening in that, area she's instead in in addition to emails and in addition to these blocked time once a month interviews that we're doing that whatsapp connection to be able to message her at any point that she's going to get back to me and say hey you know this and this happened can you give me some advice on how to move forward is i feel like i'm i'm way more connected to that than in any other research project that i've been a part of
0: yeah, and there are implications of this for uh, research and teaching and learning, as well as the intersection of the two. I have a former uh, doctoral student right now uh, who's doing a study on teacher-coach role conflict in uh, pre-service teachers, um, and she's she's doing Twitter chats on a weekly basis uh, and both using that as a way to... Um, you know kind of meet the students with their preferences for accessing social media but then also uh she, she she does it through a closed group so that um the comments uh aren't available outside of that group on a uh, twitter chat just, yeah well uh, we're calling it a twitter chat but really it's it's like a closed messaging function within twitter so they're just it's direct messages um so, because they didn't want it to be put out there for everybody mm-hmm. um and so it's just a, a direct messages with everybody listed on the direct messages, uh, and it creates this kind of closed environment where um, they're able to have conversations about practice, uh, uh, and um, you know, she'll just have it set up for like one hour, uh, one evening a week, and everybody comes on, they have a dialogue, and then... Know, uh, ask each other questions, and it's kind of an analogous to the way that, you know, like systems like uh, learning management systems like Blackboard uh, mm-hmm. use uh, group discussions. It's just through the Twitter interface. It's just finding uh, that the students really enjoy that, and um, that they're giving her richer responses, which is better for their reflection and for the research process than what she uh, is used to getting through, you know, the uh, the learning management software discussion boards.
1: So how is that exported then, that conversation? Is it just like a select all, right-click, copy-paste yeah. into a Word document then?
0: I, I believe so. Uh, so I, I haven't done it yet, but she played around with it and said that she knows how to do it. I think that you just open up the messages mm-hmm. on, um, on Twitter, uh, the direct messages, and then just copy all of the dialogue and then just yeah, copy-paste it into a, um, uh, a Word document. And I've, I've done that with text messages as well.
2: Right. yeah I'm um, so it's funny Kevin you bring something up that kind of um, kind of in parallel to what you were the point you were trying to make with using direct messages and and the other thing that I thought of while reading this paper with regard to Twitter and using something that the public forum uh-huh. um, data collection is uh, the the level of I don't know if it's honesty or like criticism that somebody might have for something that they might um, that they might talk about, right? And so, right. You know, when you have these, you know, these public forums, I'm, I'm curious as to what degree people might be negative about something, right? And
0: right. Yeah, and you know, I th- that's a that's a good question, um, uh, Justin. And I think that there are kind of two spins off of that. First, first is that, yes, there's this idea that I'm putting something out there that's going to be critiqued by a community. Um, and I'm wrapping up a, a project right now with uh, with some of my colleagues and graduate students where we're looking at uh, how profe- how uh, a, a PE teachers use Twitter for professional development. Um, and what a lot of them are saying is they start by being like an observer or some of them to have described themselves as like lurkers where they're on Twitter observing reading what other people are writing but not actually contributing Uh, and eventually they move down the spectrum towards becoming contributors and the reason for that um is exactly what you're talking about they they initially feel uncomfortable putting things out there to be critiqued but the other side of this coin and i thought that um the authors of this paper did a really nice job of bringing that up and you know bringing it to the surface even though it, it wasn't the main focus was you know, from a human subjects perspective, thinking about like IRB and how research gets approved, we're supposed to provide um, some degree of anonymity or at least get people to waive their right to anonymity. Um, and when you're putting direct quotes in from an online source, I could go and copy paste those tweets and if they're still up there, I could identify these people.
1: All right. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, Justin, to your point about, you know, even this paper they talked about how teachers portrayed themselves as these star performers yeah yeah, yeah. and yep. and i think that was similar to that um stephen harvey's article in 2018 i think uh that we did a podcast on was the same thing that they talk they the teachers are only putting out their best foot forward and very few are talking about you know how much they struggle with certain lessons or the bad lessons so they end up becoming these, and there's other articles now that have come up recently about how uh, they they have this sense of power because people start looking at them and they're yeah, yeah, influencers yeah. and yeah. all of a sudden you look at this person who's got 15,000 followers and they put up a lesson plan and they might have workshopped that lesson plan for two weeks and right. all of a mm-hmm. sudden they put up the one time it worked and younger teachers who are just out are going, I don't understand how this is happening. Like, how are they able to be so successful all the time? The analogy there, sorry, uh, sorry, the analogy there is that if you look
0: at photos that people post on these social media sites, they might take 25 photographs but only post the one single photo that Mm -hmm. is the image of themselves that they want projected out in a public space. um, And then that exacerbates these ideals of, uh, of beauty uh, within our society where we, um, you know, project images of people who look nearly, you know, perfect, uh, and, and it creates some challenges. And it's the same thing here, you know, if we never show uh, the, the, the trials and tribulations that go along with, with practice, then uh, you don't really get an understanding of the process. Yeah,
2: so I, I view this really like as this two-pronged challenge and, and there are two different two different issues I think that we're talking about at the same time. I think one is when we're the researcher and we're collecting data, how how representative or how accurate right. is what people are putting on Twitter, right? So if I'm doing studies, like a lot of the research I'm doing is asking persons with disabilities about what their PE experiences are like, I would guess that for the most part, they're not gonna start talking about instances of bullying or discrimination on Twitter. Uh, Regardless of, you know, unless it's in that direct messaging space, which you were describing earlier. um, I don't think we would get that type of that type of description. Um, We might get hints toward things not being great. But for the most part, I think people tend to attempt to put a positive image of themselves on Twitter. So that's one challenge. And then The second challenge goes back to something else we talked about last week or last time we had this this conversation, this uh, article club, which is the 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 uh, PE celebrity phenomenon, where yeah, anybody can um, get a bunch of followers and say something about PE and then a whole bunch of people are going to listen. And so if you have a a big name because, you know, you were some sort of something with shape or with uh, other PE organizations, and you say anything, people are gonna say, well, that's what that person said, so it must be true. Let's do that in my classroom. And I mean, I would venture to guess, and it's kind of ironic for me saying that today because I'm hosting a Twitter chat tomorrow for Nick Peed, and people are gonna ask questions, and I'm gonna provide very ambiguous answers like I typically do. But I feel like if somebody did the same chat and they were asked the question, how do I teach kids with visual impairments, and they gave a very direct answer, like this is the way to do it, you tape uh, a bag of uh, a bag of uh, chocolate chip cookies on the top of the ceiling and you tell them to try to jump and grab it i think a bunch of p teachers out there would see somebody who has like some recognizable name and then put chocolate chip cookies on their ceiling and try to do that even though it's a ridiculous thing to try to do
1: yeah and i think that's one of the things with social media is there is no filter there is no quality filter you you know the credentials of, of individuals being able to post there you don't have to have any you know right and and so i think you know i've i've tried to in the last year push a lot more of my students to get on social media and find and read blogs and you know interact with the global community to kind of like widen their scope of understanding but i think with that it comes with that digital media literacy how much are we also in addition to saying hey go on Twitter go on Instagram and find all these blogs but then also learn how to read the credentials of the person and learn what good pedagogy is so you can then judge if that is a worthwhile source or you know. so. Yeah, there, there's kind of a delicate balance here, I think, because on the one
0: hand, Twitter provides everybody with a voice. So anybody, regardless of your position or status, you have the ability to go out there and say something. And, and that isn't the case with a lot of other outlets for professional development or even for for like journals uh, that we submit to. There's a peer review process, and you have to get through that peer review. Uh, and so the challenge inherent with that is that there's if there's an innovative idea that could potentially propel the field forward, it can be suppressed through gatekeeping functions. Um, and so that's a good thing on the one hand, but it also limits voice. Uh, but on the other hand, um, with with things like Twitter, uh, you need to have this critical eye because not everything is created equally. You know, not every tweet or every example of practice that's put out there is equally as good. So it's a good thing that that it gives people the ability to share but with that you have to look at it in a critical way
2: yeah I, I agree I, I in no way do I mean to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say we should get rid of Twitter and no phys ed teachers should use Twitter oh, their right. game practice but I do think I think there are a bunch of inherent challenges and you know I've seen some research and it sounds like you're working on some yourself about <clears throat> using Twitter or using social media as professional development um, and and I, even, I even find that statement to be kind of a challenge because yeah. like it is, maybe, maybe it, it depends on what people mean by professional development, but I think if professional development is thought of as enhancing teacher practice, and that's what the development is. If it's a positive development, then I can, I, I would have a challenge with it. But I think if it's development in a sense that we don't know whether the development is a positive one or a negative one, but people are being influenced by something else that's telling them how to practice, and we don't really have control over what that what that message is, then then sure, I, sh- I suppose professional development would, would come from social media. But I, I just, I, I find that challenge where... I've seen a bunch of people who I don't, I think there's a lot of good people on Twitter providing like with uh, providing like recommendations with like a strong moral compass that want kids yeah. to have what's best. But I also think there are people on Twitter and more Twitter than any other social media in my view, but I think there are people on Twitter who wanna make a name for themselves and wanna, you know, try to profit whether it's financially or socially, yeah. you know, big uh, name, you know?
0: And we saw that with some of the some of the research that we're doing right now, there are those people out there who, um, you know, kind of do a little bit of both. They're PE teachers and so part of what they're doing is sharing practice and trying to encourage others to develop their version of, of good practice. But some of them also use it in a proprietary sense where they're trying to to spin a profit. Um, you know, they're trying to sell lesson ideas or sell, uh, work samples that they've created. Um, and, and then kind of the altruism that, that has the potential to emerge gets thrown out the window.
2: Yeah. Well, and and, I, and it's a challenge in, a, in another way, like even hypocritically on my behalf, because just last week I put up a tweet that said, we have a book that's coming at us and, like, right. and like, I don't. Like, I'm not trying to sell anything except for the book, I guess, but I'm not trying to sell, like, I'm an expert. I don't know, man. I don't know. This, oh. is, this is crazy. Like, I don't even but know then if we, my behavior is consistent with my thoughts.
0: <laughs> but then we also, we also like, my, my professional Twitter use right now, at least, uh, is pretty much restricted to me uh, liking what other people put up, retweeting some things that I want to show support for, and then posting my articles. And so I'm not trying to, quote unquote, sell my articles, although it could be construed in that way, given that, you know, their articles are often beyond paywalls and folks who don't have uh, university uh, access might not be able to get to them. And, and, you know, the the publishers, I think, do a nice job of giving the free e-prints. I think you get 50 e-prints with a lot of the, the, through a lot of the publishers. But then beyond that, you know, um, you're putting something out there that that is, in a sense, a bit of self-promotion and is also, depending upon how you define it, potentially proprietary.
1: Yeah. And I, I've never got, uh, you know, used up my 50 e-prints before I got on Twitter. I, right. I didn't know who to send it to. Like, it, they're like, hey, here's 50 free e-prints. Send it and share it to whoever you want. I'm like, um, I would share this with my colleagues who all have university accounts. Right. So it would be weird for me to send it to Kevin Richards' email address and say, hey, uh, just so you know, I have a free e-print. So I would just let them go unused. But now when I do have them, I put them up and I see that at least it's been viewed 50 times. And those, you know, and I think that there are people on Twitter for that reason. They want to have access to research, but they cannot because it's too expensive because it's $40 to read one of our articles, which is crazy. But they go on. So I retweet people's articles when I see, oh, 50 free prints. I always retweet that if I feel like it's, you know, relevant or useful information to get out. So I I will, I'll transfer to or switch over to another topic. I think, you know, we talk about social media here in this paper of using it as a way to um, collect data and get more in-depth understanding. And I think this is a, you know, a great outline of if you are looking to integrate social media, I think this is a great place to start. But I wonder how much um, social media is able to be used to connect with the students. And I'm talking K to 12. And we had this Mm -hmm. uh, technology project in our online master's program where I have students self determine, like they pick what they wanna integrate. And one of the students got on Twitter and they hadn't been on Twitter and they wanted to do that and to share what they were doing in their PE program. So this student at an elementary school started a Twitter account and start they wanted to engage with the students. So they were, you know, sending out, you know, motivational reminders or talking about what's coming up in the upcoming week or the jogathon or, you know, events or over the weekend, here are some things that you could do to continue being physically active outside of PE, which I thought was great, but then I read his reflection and he's like, elementary st- school kids don't have Twitter.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So like, he was trying to do did. this, the idea was great in an engagement, but he wasn't getting a lot of followers because none of his students had it, or maybe parents were restricting, that up until right. you get to this age you can't be on these types of social media. So how how can we actually use that as a as a connection to students or should we as teachers? I think
0: I think it's a little bit easier with with older students in one sense it's a little bit easier in another sense though i think it's a bit more challenging when you get into middle school and high school a lot of those students i think have social media that are actively using that uh you know when i was going through undergrad uh and getting you know my initial teacher education it was back when a lot of this was brand new uh, you know facebook had just come out and we were like actively told by um, people in the uh, in the in the college not to engage with our students on social media to the extent that they would, you know, encourage us to like change our name or have our middle name set as our last name so that we are more undiscoverable or make it private. Um, and and so, you know, there's that kind of worry that if you if you connect with your students in that way, they might see things, um, especially if you're using a private, personal social media account that that you don't want students to see um and so that led me uh, with my twitter and i think others uh, do this as well uh, i created uh, I, i divided my twitter up so i have a personal twitter which is where i talk about the bands that i like and the sports teams that i follow and stuff like that and then i have a professional twitter where i post stuff about pe and i tend to not cross post and to encourage you know people in the professional community to follow the professional one
1: Yeah. And I think what you're talking about, though, was like the wild, wild west of social media when we were all on MySpace and Facebook was the coolest new thing. And there was there were days that you would not check your social media and somebody would tag you in a photo that was not the best representation of who you are. And you'd have to go and log on to then unclick and untag yourself, which I think there's a lot of privacy concerns and all of that stuff. But I ended up getting off of all social media because for me, I felt like there was such a conflict of who I was and who I was being portrayed as. And certain, like when I was coaching wrestling at the university level of, do I want parents of coaches following my personal account? And if I say no, then what do they think of me saying, no, you can't follow me versus having, a professional account, and I just I just cut it all. I just got rid of everything, yeah. and I haven't been on social media until uh, a year and a half ago, when when I started back with Twitter at ISEP.
0: Yeah, and, and anecdotally, I've heard stories of uh, PE teachers who have applied for jobs, you know, fresh out of uh, uh, their PE programs. They apply for jobs, and then the school district does kind of an informal search for them online and finds social media pages and then if there are things on those pages that they uh, don't want to see or don't want to affiliate with in terms of their school then that hurts the teacher in the hiring process
2: yeah i'm laughing a bit bit on my end because i had a student who popped up one of my undergrads popped up on my people you may know thing on facebook And he had, he's a personal trainer. He had a picture of himself without a shirt on. And I saw him a few days later and I thought to myself, like, well, I told him, I guess I didn't just think it. I said, Hey, you you may want to switch that if you're looking for jobs, Yeah. Uh, you know, school districts. In my thought, they're still looking at these things. And I I definitely remember all the instances you're describing about, you know, being a new teacher and, you know, limiting your Facebook and privatizing everything. And, um i'm i'm constantly considering not being on facebook because i'm i'm not sure where i see the value in like all of the i don't know all the social stuff that pops up on my feed each week uh, the only yeah. reason I have it at this point is to recruit participants for research um which i don't i don't know if that's a good reason to keep it you know
0: <laughs> well and i think the other thing that you can kind of spin off from this uh you know we were i think we're all about the same age i think and you know, Facebook was the, you know, after, after MySpace went away, Facebook was, was the social networking space. Uh, and now there are like five or six different really popular options, and it seems like the more popular ones keep rotating or switching every few years, and, you know, I'm still on Facebook. Uh, and I have Twitter, but pretty much just for professional reasons. I don't do Instagram. I don't do Snapchat. I don't do these other spaces. Um, and so when, you, when I start thinking about research applications for social media, I have a really hard time with that because it's just not my purview. It's not something that I've ever interacted with.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think for me, like I try to limit most social media. And but what I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed the same thing is you know, working with. Uh, doctoral students. It, it appears that social media is something that they're just better at. I mean, they're they're better than me yeah. in a lot of things. And I know at least one of them is going to listen to this and think to himself, "Yes, I am." Um,
1: <laughs>
2: but I think um, I think social media is one of those things, and I think that it's going to be important for people like us to know about like how to utilize social media for data collection because we're going to have doctoral students coming in that are going to be on the cutting edge of doing. Yep. Uh, Data collection, and if, if we don't know what's going on, we're gonna, you know, not gonna, we're not gonna be very helpful, you know.
0: Yeah, and it's also a great way to to kind of going along with that. It's a good way to kind of support and build up our people, um, you know. So like if you go to a conference and one of your doctoral students gives a presentation, you get a couple of pictures, and then you can tweet about it and tag them, and it's a good way to help kind of get their name out there and just to show support and to, to show support for what they're doing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was, I, I think the three of us probably all got on Twitter for probably the same reason. I was essentially told from our department chair, like, why aren't you on social media? You should really tell people about what you're doing because you're doing a lot of good stuff and you could bring positive attention to the department. And I thought, all right, I'll try it. And, you know, I, I didn't even get a smartphone until 2017. So um, I'm definitely Behind and again, this is reasons why I need to read papers like like Vicky's paper here um, because I need to learn about this stuff probably more than anybody else does, especially my age demographic. Um, But yeah, I I, you know that was the advice I got, and that's the reason you guys see me on Twitter now is because I was told that it's probably a good idea to bring good attention to all the stuff we do.
1: Well, I got on Twitter because Dylan Landy told me to get on Twitter. (laughs) So. And Nate Babcock told me to get on Twitter. So my, we have not, uh, I've never gotten anything from department chairs either at Cal State Fullerton or at at Mason to say, hey, you should really consider having an online online presence.
0: But our college now, this is brand new, just the last year, our college now has their own um, Twitter handle and so does our department. And so they use it to promote us as faculty. And then they've started, you know, kind of suggesting, although not, they haven't come out and asked us to create uh, social media profiles, but they said if you do already, if you have social media, if you engage with these things, then, you know, tweet and retweet and tag the college and the department as a way to do exactly what you're talking about in terms of promoting what you do.
2: Yeah. Well, so just to reiterate, I don't know if she said, like, go on Twitter and start tweeting stuff. I think it was more like this could be a way for us to get more positive attention. Right. Like, why, right. Not, why not take advantage of this? Um, yeah. And I, I think it's been a good move for a lot of reasons, one of which being, I think that it does bring positive attention to good things that we do. And then also it keeps me updated. It's funny, like years ago, what even, you know, 2014, 2015, while, In the PhD program, I think when I wanted to find new research, I had to look on, you know, I had to just keep doing searches on EBSCOhost or Google Scholar. And today, I really find out what's come out recently from either Twitter or through ResearchGate. And ResearchGate is probably the social media forum that I use most often because that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in seeing what the people who are doing similar stuff to what I'm doing or really I guess it's not even similar but you know things that I'm interested in what's the next thing they're they're coming out with you
1: know and you know what the best journal in my opinion it, that does social media the best is physical education and sport pedagogy they are constantly on twitter they they post all of the articles that are that are coming out they do thematic like top 5 articles in this and this area um, they have like yep. throwback thursdays kind of like you know there i see a lot of really good stuff that otherwise might have slipped through a filter or two from mine and i, I love it i think they're i think they've done a great job and eper as well does a yep. really good job on there i think that
0: that's something that we really need to we, uh, like our journals really need to do more of that i think that uh, you know has been on it for a a little while now i, I think uh and support pedagogy just started recently mm-hmm. but they've really kind of come out with a bang in terms of the um, the amount and the quality of the content that they're posting but then a lot of our other journals don't have any presence on social media
2: yeah 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 no i noticed uh, european peer review first uh as like when i was submitting papers and mind you i've, I've published more there than I have at PESP, so that that might be why. But did PESP just jump into your mind, Risto, because they posted something one minute ago?
1: (laughs) No, Uh, I'm like 100% committed to this podcast. I have no social media open. I'm just looking at the paper, trying to concentrate on your answers. Are you on Twitter at the same time?
2: I was actually live tweeting this conversation.
1: (laughs) man. I I really do need to step it up. You you've just got on social media just lately, and I'm you know, I, I need to really take a deep deep look into my um, into my habits on social media. Thanks for calling. But this goes out. this goes I mean, back I, together. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. It, I don't know if this is a
2: good habit though. The fact that I have this open and you said PESP and I saw PESP put something nine seconds before you said that.
1: Hmm.
0: You're very you know, the other thing
2: yeah yeah sorry uh, sorry guys.
0: The other thing too here is that um, you know Arista you and I were just talking recently about coming up with a handle for the podcast um, and you know what the, the podcast is I think well positioned to be used um, and and, uh, and promoted uh, uh, distributed might be a better word through social media but it but it just kind of struck us that we didn't have a social media account specifically for the podcast. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And and when I initially set it up and you tag the handle, I was like, what is that handle? Why is he talking about that? And I realized this morning that I put in an incorrect uh, Twitter handle on there. I don't know how because I don't know how to do social media, but the new the correct Twitter handle for this podcast is the HPE podcast. So follow us on Twitter. Hi. All right. Uh guys, any uh concluding thoughts we're getting up to our <laughs> typical uh time range here. So any any follow-up thoughts on the article or any closing remarks?
2: I mean, just, I, I, I've enjoyed reading this. I'm going to continue to look for papers by this this research team. I see Vicky Goodyear and Ashley Casey quite a bit um posting things again on on ResearchGate and on Twitter. So, I mean, I'm I'm excited to keep reading their stuff and you know, I'm sure if I ever attend one of these ASAP or, yeah, these ASAP meetings, I might come across them and, and tell them that in person.
0: They've been to ARA a lot over the years too, so if you end up getting to one of those, you might see them.
2: Well, you know.
0: <laughs> come there's, to AERA. There's still a chance. Um. <laughs> there's still a chance. Right. Um, so, you know, the one thing that struck me when I was, um, was and I, and I mean this in a good way and I'll explain why, um, but the, the flow of the article from the beginning to the end did not follow, you know, the traditional development of an article with, you know, introduction, method, research, or results and discussion, um, and that caught my attention because, you know, I think that many of us in higher ed have been socialized into constructing our articles to fit a certain mold, especially, um, you know, uh, quantitative researchers tend to follow that pretty pretty tightly. Um, but as I was reading through this, it felt more accessible. It felt easy to read. It felt like I was reading a, a story or a narrative rather than, you know, kind of a, a rigid formal research paper. And if the idea is to make research more accessible to um, to, to uh, non-researchers, people like physical educators who are going to be using this work in their practice, then I think that communicating it in a in a, in a more digestible way. While still, you know, meeting the standards of rigor uh, required by academic journals, um, is a good start, uh, and I and I thought that uh, that they did that quite well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I and I also would like to note that we got to almost forty minutes before you dropped the word socialization in. So
0: did I say socialization? We, we <laughs> almost made it.
1: We almost ah, made it. Maybe one of these days. Yeah. So I'll I'll leave off. I I had these two quotes that I that I pulled off that I was hoping to get in. So I'm just going to kind of end with this in in the very, very, very beginning of the introduction. They talk about the field and how and what type of research we've done Um, and they talk about, you know, the majority of the existing evidence has been a zoomed out maps or a snapshot view of practice and that the field is simply peaked into complexities of schools, classrooms, and coaching contexts. And there's a lack of longitudinal research that provides us in-depth insight into that longer term impact, which they talk about the issues with being expensive. But the last thing is that they say as such, what is needed is not more of the same, i.e. short-duration, one-off research designs, but research that develops new ideas on how to gain robust and sustained insights into teachers and teaching. Shots fired. Wow. Shots, fired. Shots fired. And I well, feel like a that's really, a that a great was, quote. <laughs> yeah, and that was one of those that I'm like, oh, I, I got goosebumps. I'm like, oh, am I doing enough? Am I doing the right type? Am I, you know, like... This article really made me self-reflect on on the research that and the research design that I want to do. So, awesome, you know, you know, awesome choice.
2: One thing that threw really into this too, like, I mean, I read things regularly that when I'm done reading them, I think the stuff I do is shit. Right? Well, can I curse on this? I don't know. If huh. I curse well, you did,
1: so it's okay. I'll just put an R rating on this one
2: yeah or you know you can you can tweet you could yeah. edit that out and say the stuff i do is trash or whatever it might be but um but i think like that feeling of like man the stuff i do is not the best stuff or the stuff i do isn't the best that i can do i think that's a better feeling than i'm doing everything right or like right. i'm the possible researcher out there you know like i think when people read something and they're like oh they're not talking about me they're talking about everybody else i think that's the problem mm-hmm. i think a lot of us, I think, like the people I interact with that are in our age demographic. I think a lot of us have that uneasy feeling that we're not doing the best we can, or or we're not contributing as much as we should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like that. I think that 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 discomfort is what drives people like us to do more. Whereas I think when you have the feeling of like I do the best stuff, and they must be talking about somebody else. Like to me, that that's that's not the type of person I want to work with or be around. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one, if I could end with one quick, uh, critique,
2: um,
0: and it's a minor thing in the grand scheme of things, but, um, right out of the gate in the article, they, they introduced and start to talk about this idea of, I think they called it uh, sport and exercise, uh, pedagogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was a term that I was unfamiliar with and they have a footnote that kind of defines it, that, that helped me, uh, kind of wrap my mind around what that was inclusive of, um. And, you know, then they go on to say that they are going to use sport pedagogy or physical education pedagogy, I guess, as one kind of subgroup within that larger group uh, to focus on within this study. And I thought that that was neat, uh, and I liked how they framed that. But what I was hoping that they would do um, in the discussion section was bring that back to, you know, what did we learn from the physical education teachers? Um, and the the professional development facilitator in this study that has implications for the wider field of sport and exercise pedagogy and, and i didn't get that at the end um, so that was the one thing that i thought was almost like a, a like hanging a little bit for me
1: awesome um thank you guys uh, appreciate the time um you want to throw out your since we are talking about social media your social media handle or any other uh Information there? Justin?
2: Um, yeah, I'm Justin underscore Hagel. And if you can spell Hagel correct without looking it up, then you are a better speller than I am.
1: <laughs>
0: Kevin? Uh, and I, I actually had to look mine up to make sure I got it right while Justin was talking. So thank you for going first. But I'm at K A R Richards 14. Uh, so there are two R's in there because I'm funny with my name.
1: Awesome. And, uh, you can find me at Risto Martinen. Um, the podcast is at the HPE podcast and, uh, George Mason university physical education, uh, started a Instagram. I started an Instagram for it because, uh, I feel like we need to diversify at Mason underscore P H E D. Uh, so you can find information on our program there. So, uh, thanks guys. Appreciate it. And, um, we'll catch you on the next one.